0: Hello, this is Mike Harbath with Revenue Rocket and today's Shoot the Moon podcast uh, for this week in April of 2021. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about how change is good and how change in your business can make a huge difference in your financial results and why you need to embrace change in the IT services market and how it can help you. Uh, with me today is my partner, uh, Ryan Barnett. Welcome, Ryan.
1: Hey, Micah. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, You know, we work with a number of clients on their strategic initiatives, and they willingly sign up to to really help grow the company and become more profitable and get them to a place where they can start to sell. Uh, But what always interests us throughout the process is that oftentimes we get to a point in which real change needs to be done. And overcoming the inertia of the everyday becomes more difficult uh, to, to actually focus on changing the business. And uh, we want to really discover kind of what are some ways that we can encourage our clients and encourage companies that are looking for more value in the company to embrace uh, change methodology and give you some practical ways that you can actually look at uh, implementing uh, change met- management uh, methodologies so I mean it, let's take a look and just want to start with it is you know Mike who, why do companies get stuck and and in a certain spot and you know, we see these revenue goals for example if people get to five million or ten million or fifteen million it's very hard to get over them um, you know why does it take a change in a mindset and a change in uh, execution to get over some of these hums?
0: Well, that's a good question, Ryan. I mean, I think, you know, oftentimes we hear about the glass ceiling or the th- revenue thresholds. And, you know, as you get to these particular inflection points in the business, you need to change process. Um, you need to modify the way you do things. You generally have to add more rigor to a process that may have been manual or may have been. Uh, somewhat human capital dependent um, without a lot of process rigor. And that's tough. That's a tough thing to do because you have the gravity of history. You have the gravity of how you have always done it, even though that how we've always done it may be inefficient or not optimized or not anywhere near best in class. And so when you see these revenue thresholds get met, And you struggle to break through these, it's usually because there's a process in your business that's holding you back. And it could be, you know, a variety of different things, right? But I think uh, you know, as you're thinking about the business and thinking about how do we get to the next level, you know, we know for sure that, you know, kind of do what you always done is a get what you always got recipe. Um, and that you need to be able to be very open to kind of modifying the way you do things, both with Process and human capital
1: so so Mike, do you start out with a, a documentation of the processes that are are there, or is it a point where you're uh, you're simply trying to understand that if you're changing a business, it has to be more than the people there, and you've got to somehow come down with a limited number of things to do and focus on?
0: Well, you know, I I like the rule of five. You know, if you can count on one hand, you probably can get uh, those change initiatives done at any given time. Very difficult to boil the ocean and change more than five things at a time in any business at any given uh, period of time. I do think that, you know, a holistic analysis of your growth strategy and understanding what those barriers are is critically important. And then sort of mapping and implementing a remediation plan is what comes next. Um, You know, and to put a little plug in for Revenue Rocket, I mean, that's what we do in our SVP program. You know, we've literally helped hundreds of IT services companies through this transformation. And it really is a transformation um, to think differently about how they manage and run the business and how they grow the business.
1: Right. You know, when we run people through the, the process, you know, one of the things that we get them to focus on is, in our in the S and the V which is really specializing and picking a vertical market you know we we truly believe that if you can be number 1 or number 2 in a market and say i am the best provider of a service for a particular market it gives you a unfair chance to win more business or uh, you're winning an unfair amount of business because you, you're simply the best so people select you even though you, uh, even though you may be smaller, you may be different. You, you're the best for that reason. But we oftentimes find that companies, when they come to actually implementing it, um, they get stuck. I, you know, my, what are some reasons why companies get stuck in trying to actually pick a specialization or market?
0: Well, I think it's because they don't believe that that is the uh, that is the path. They, there's all kinds of empirical data that shows that is the fastest path. Growth and enhanced profitability, but they doubt it because maybe they've served uh, a broad uh, amount of markets over time. Maybe they're so used to swimming in the red ocean, if you want to use that um, blue ocean red ocean theory, that they don't know any different. And and I think in part also, many many IT services companies don't effectively aren't effectively proactive in their marketing and in their sales. They've been conditioned to be reactive and they've been conditioned to sort of answer the phone or the email um, and respond to whatever it is the client wants broadly within their kind of technical framework or technical expertise. And, and that's a huge problem because you need to move the business in order to grow it uh, from more of a tailor model, which is what this is. You know, someone comes in and you know, they get measured up for a suit and it takes, you know, an hour or two and then the tailor goes in the back and, you know, you select the fabrics and they custom make it for you to more of a clothing manufacturer model, which has to do with, hey, we're going to design this for 80 or 90% of people of this sort of size range and give them choices and they can select that. And, you know, that model along with a much more proactive um you know proacting as we call it marketing and sales model is what's required to be successful in a vertical um and i think most people don't have the resolve to actually do that they want to just keep answering the phone and doing what they've always done on the marketing and sales front versus change it up i think that's the biggest impediment to people moving towards a a faster growth uh higher profit type verticalized model
1: yeah i think uh you know, people really get uh, they really get stuck on implementing something new because they see that everything in the past they've been able to sell. And I think the reason that they've been able to sell has been uh, because they are kind of great technologists. And great technologists tend to get in their own way when it comes to recognizing the business idea that could be much grander than the, than the shiniest piece of technology that they just touched.
0: So I think there's a, a bit of that. Uh, I would also add, Ryan, just on that topic, you know, if we look at history and technology and technology services, seldom the best technologists win, right? Who wins? The best marketers win, right? Um, you know, think you can think of all kinds of different companies, both product, you know, hardware, software, services. The companies that come out on top are the ones that can market the most effectively, and part of being able to market the most effectively has to do with having a very narrow target. It's hard to say that we're great, uh, pick a technology, um, you know, implementer or, or uh, services firm for everyone and have that resonate. Uh, because if you're a buyer, you don't want to have the best service provider for everyone. You want to have the best service provider for your kind of business very specifically. Um, and that's how you make the buying decision that's a it's a huge component of the buying criteria um You don't need the best technologies for everyone; you need the best firm for you and so I think being able to you know make that delineation and then being able to effectively market sure makes a huge difference in your ability to grow and scale
1: sure Mike, how much time do you think people need to to make a decision? And I'll put it in the context. We, we oftentimes get to a point in which picking a specialization or picking a vertical market can take um, weeks or months. Do companies overanalyze? Uh, do they come to that analysis paralysis that uh, you know makes it really hard to make an effective change management decision?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think they get stuck. It shouldn't take long. Uh, and there's some really critical components to selecting a market. First of all, you know, success leaves clues, even your own success. So you need to analyze where you're, your, you've been successful, right? Um, oftentimes, vertical markets sort of rear their head inside of your customer base uh, without you maybe even thinking about it or knowing it. Like you may have 20 or 30% of your customers that look very similar to one another, and those attributes exist. And you may have – stumbled into that, either because there's referrals going on within that community to you or they're in your geography or, you know, it could be a variety of reasons why you've sort of been successful in that. Um, and uh, and likewise, you know, as you think about uh, this selection, um, you know, I think people sometimes feel that it's not quite exciting or sexy enough. Like they feel it's compelling to have a challenge to go, you know, as we often use this analogy, build the space shuttle every time for a client, because they may not understand the industry, and you got to put a lot of smart guys in the room, and you got to design a solution that solves problems that maybe you've never solved before, or ones that, you know, maybe you haven't solved for a while, where, you know, they think that if you get down the path of a vertical market, it's going to be a boring rinse and repeat kind of business. Uh, which isn't the case at all. Um, and you know, so we hold some attributes pretty, uh, close that, you know, look at your customer base. Um, pick one you're passionate about because you're going to be spending a lot of time with this market and people in this market and business people in this market. So, you know, you got to be liking it, right? You got to be passionate about it. If you don't, that's going to come through and you're going to lose interest. So pretty important that you pick a market you're passionate about. And one where you can make a difference with your solution set, uh, one that's meaningful, your solution set's meaningful to that business. Um, and then think about that addressable market a little differently, uh, because now, you know, in theory, um, as long as the market's big enough for you to achieve your goals, um, probably in a broad geography, you know, you'll be good, even if it's a very, very niche market
1: yeah as long as it's big enough to matter but uh small enough that you can claim the number 1 or number 2 position is uh, i think extremely critical um you know if you're to think about a company and let's say they do decide to pick on a specialization in the market and they have got a product to take it there um who's involved in that decision I mean does it have to come from the top or is it a community based decision how where where does an effective leader drive this or what's the, what's, what's the most effective leader? Where, is it a, a one guy just commanding? Is it the leading
0: the team? What works? Well, I think you want to have dialogue and buy-in with the team. It's important. At the same time, the leader needs to make the decision because I think there'll be all kinds of differing opinions. We see that all the time when this is a decision-by-committee approach. And oftentimes what happens when it's decision-by-committee is there's no decision or it's too broad of a target. Because someone will bring up, well, we did a great job in this industry two years ago, um, so we really need to include that. And, again, that's not thinking proactively. That's thinking reactively, right? They're thinking, well, they called us out of the blue and we had a big customer, and we can't ignore that market because maybe they'll call again or maybe someone in their ecosystem will call again. And I think what folks need to know is that picking a vertical market is designed to help you um, be a leader in marketing. It doesn't mean, however, that it, and it's led by the top. I think it's a decision that ultimately when you get to an impasse, the senior leadership needs to make that decision. Um, but what's also important is that you're not saying no to everything else. Uh, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to you know, do business with you, but they're not in your vertical market and they got referred in or maybe it was someone who you had a great experience with and they, you know, um, you happen to find them or you talk to them on an elevator or whatever, you know, certainly if you can help them and they're within your technical specialization, um, then you're going to do that work, right? But it's going to be, it's going to have come to you through a different channel than proactive marketing. And I think that's important to note because I think a lot of people think, well, if we select a the vertical, then we got to say no to everything else, which really isn't the case. It just is where you're going to place your bets, Uh, for marketing Uh, so just more food for thought
1: yeah there's plenty of spots on the board that are still going to be winning and very few spots that are going to be losing as long as you have some kind of concerted effort towards it i think where where we've seen success is that there is a critical number that people are managing towards and there's initiatives or rocks that are are built towards hitting those uh those critical numbers and you put a number on the board that says we are going to have XYZ clients or XYZ revenue uh, in a particular market, and we're going to go after it. If you could put the stake in the ground and say we are going to do this, you will win a a share of market that is bigger than you expect. Um, Mike, what are some examples of where people have done – a really good job of managing the effort and they kept a steady hand on the tiller for years. Now what's a good example of someone who picked a market and was able to win uh, because they, they effectively uh, grew the organization through an effective change management uh, technique.
0: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll leave a few names out to protect the innocent, but I'll talk about the case studies in general. Um, you know, we have a client uh, that we did business with, oh, I want to say 10 or 12 years ago, who at the time uh, was about $15 million in revenue. And they had a pretty big BHAG, you know, big, big, hairy, audacious goal. They said within 30 years, our business will be a billion-dollar company. Now, that's not something we hear often uh, from a $15 million company. I'd say most of them don't say that but they had a uh, we helped them craft a very specific plan around uh, a vertical market uh, to get them to 50 million and then a series of markets because they were geographically dispersed uh, to get them to 150 million uh and then uh an international expansion plan that would help them get to a billion and that sort of was a little bit behind the covers of what helped uh grow that company now if we fast forward to today, that company is a hundred and seventy-five million dollar company on their way to their billion dollar revenue goal, and I think they're going to achieve that goal within twenty-five years, not thirty years. So again, very specific targets, very specific actions, and obviously remarkable performance. Um, we can look at other another example is one in which uh, a managed service provider client came to us and said, "Here, we're kind of servicing everybody." Uh, we're small, you know, we're under 3 million, uh, we're doing it in a geography and it seems to be a race to the bottom with a lot of competitors. We'd like to differentiate and grow and scale and enhance profitability. So they were in a single digit EBITDA company with, um, you know, good growth. They were hovering around, uh, 10, 12%, I suppose, uh, acceptable growth, but not blowing the covers off it. We took them through our SVP process and, you know, if we fast forward now five years, you know, they're uh, focused on a very, very narrow niche vertical market um, of a, comp- a a vertical plus um, what we call demographic number of employees uh, that was very, very specific, a very narrow band. Um, and they went from uh, being a regional company to a, a really an international company they're 12 million in revenue today their profits are over 20% and they've facilitated two small acquisitions along the way um and so you know they are building uh in the foreseeable future a 50 million dollar company our our analysis said they could uh continue to dominate the space they're in uh and grow that business north of 120 million um, and and I think that you know certainly their ownership is relatively young. I suspect that they'll be able to do that. So here's just a, a couple very narrow examples of companies that are breaking the mold, breaking through some of those revenue thresholds, uh, thinking differently about how they're executing against their plan, and and seeing the results.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. It, this this journey though, it seems really hard if you're. As CEO kind of
0: doing this yourself? Yeah. You know, oftentimes we say it takes a village, right? It's not uh, a village of both folks inside the company and outside the company uh, to do it. Um, We, um, you know, we take our role as an advisor in this space very seriously. I mean, we're, um, you know, kind of eat our own dog food, right? We've only worked with IT services companies since our inception for 20 years now. And, you know, I think we've gained a lot of experience about what works and what doesn't really in the, you know, clients we've serviced in over 30 countries. Um, and so we have we have lots of great clients that lean on us to be sort of a knowledgeable third party to help them on this journey, help them avoid the landmines, if you will. Um, at the same time, there's other advisors in your ecosystem that can help you, um, help you along this journey, and you want to be able to use all of them you know, people like your banker and your accountant and, you know, your lawyer and other internal staff that you'll hire as you scale and grow. Mm -hmm. Um, But you need to be able to have the, you need to be as a leader in the business, have a keeper, be the keeper of the vision, uh, be able to bring in these advisors and be open to their input along the way. um, And ultimately be able to chart a course to, you know, uh, top quartile performance where, uh, the business ultimately is valued at a premium by the market. Sure, uh,
1: I think it's where it's one of these things where you have to be steady and you have to keep working. Uh, but if you have someone guiding you through the way and keeping you accountable, uh, either through some kind of advisory service or some kind of active workshop process, that makes
0: these initiatives uh, uh, exponentially easier. Yeah, and, and, you know, we have a proven model for that. There's other firms that do as well. And, you know, we all approach it a little bit differently. I mean, our, I think our story is that we only do it for companies in the IT services world. So, you know, we believe that that's a big differentiator compared to maybe a more broad, uh, strategy update and, uh, management initiative, um, that may not have the relevancy of, you know, what works for tech services companies. Um, now, with that said, uh, those other models also have proven to be effective, right? We've talked to people who have used them. It's not like they're not effective. I think it's really just a matter of, you know, uh, do you want it to be, um, you, do you want to have it if you're going to make the investment? I think you want it to be as effective as it can be to get a return on that investment. And the only way to really do that is to do it with a specialist, somebody who only kind of works in your space and, someone who sees lots of companies like yours uh, day in and day out because they bring the luxury of perspective to the conversation. And I'd encourage you to seek out those folks. And as I said before, you know, we do that stuff, but certainly we've got plenty of uh, peers in our market that are also equally specialized that focus on uh, different areas of the business that could uh, add value there as well.
1: Great. Yeah, I'd say my parting thought would simply be that, uh, if you're embarking upon uh, tackling a market and a specialization uh, have that North star goal and really drive towards it and, and understand that there's going to be bumps along the way uh, your goal may have to adjust but still be driving towards it and uh, you know once you define your sandbox and what you can play in and and execute well and get your getting your team aligned to having daily conversations about it uh, becomes start starts to become critical. So, you know, pick a goal, go after it, talk about it often and, and be the evangelist that you can and uh, change uh, will come through, uh, through time and hard
0: work. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Ryan, I would completely agree with that. I think with that, we're going to talk ribbon on it for, as I mentioned this week in uh, April, 2021, you certainly can learn more about these topics and a uh, little bit more about revenue rocket on our website. Uh, revenuerocket.com. Take care and look forward to next week.